Okay, so in terms of plot developments that Star Trek Voyager could could go down the road of, did you think that uh, Seska impregnating herself yeah. with Chakotay's DNA was going to be one of the paths? I was really cool with this episode. This was a fantastic episode. It was the return of a villain who is going to be recurring. It's some nice Chakotay work. Balana has a lot of really, you know, I'm with that. And 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 let me put it this way: I don't necessarily think. This is horrible to say, but I don't think Seska exactly used a turkey baster. I get the sense she raped Chakotay. So that is – this was a very fucked up ending of the episode, and I have no idea if it's good fucked up or bad fucked up or what. But it – I was not expecting a Star Trek show to go there. I think that – I think that's my summary of it. Yeah, and I I think that I mean there's a couple things there. Number one, I, I I'm sort of with you that I think that I mean I'll put it to you this way: I don't know if Seska actually raped Chakotay or not. I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that she would have. Yeah, it's a violation nonetheless. Right. You know, whether she, and I, let me put it this way: whether she used her vagina or some kind of scientific, you know, or or a machine, she still did some very sexual violation of Chakotay. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I but I think that the the phrasing of it at the end of the episode is so weird because she doesn't say essentially like we had sex or I took some of your sperm. She says I took some of your DNA. So I don't know if the show is just delighting that or trying to get around it or if it's some sort of like weird sci-fi thing where she took some of his hair. I, you know, it's all kind of The implication I got was that was a standards and practices thing, you know, they didn't necessarily want to make it that obvious you know in, in other words pe- most of the people who are watching that know what it means but they aren't actually saying it for any kids in the room kind of a thing sure yeah and i guess uh, well so i think that's fair and and i i, I do think that there is uh, a conversation we could have at some point about star trek voyager being the first broadcast network star trek since the original series and how that affected it or didn't affect it but that's not maybe this is not the time for that. Uh, well, aside from that, were you pleased with the return? Of yes, Seska? I think they did. It. I mean, I thought it, what I thought was really funny was one of my first notes was when they're, oh, there's a Federation signature. What could it be? And actually, my thought was, did they forget that Seska stole some Federation technology, you know, and that there is at least one other ship, a Kazon ship with Federation technology. And then when she meets Chakotay, he's like, Seska, I should have known. And she immediately says, yeah, you should have, because it was kind of obvious. And I appreciated that. I am glad that they are, again, that they're making her a recurring character. The way she leaves at the end, we are going to see, we are going to meet this baby. We are going to deal, you know, these are going to, and I kind of like this arc about, I, I I I think it puts Voyager in an interesting situation. Yeah, no, I, I agree, but I I also I never I'm never really sure how I feel about Seska or how I should feel about Seska because I'm totally with you. I, I think she's the the you know the actor who's playing her is very good, very dynamic, is doing a very. I mean, when she's on the screen, she is yeah. very very entertaining. I just don't know if there. I mean, I guess in a sense you could argue that. On a different Star Trek show that did not have a woman as the captain, you could argue that the 
the the sort of gender politics of Seska would be more problematic than they are because she is sort of hewing to a hysterical yeah. woman type model or a well, it's, fatal, it's, really. She is trying to she is using her feminine wiles to get what she wants and screwing over anybody in, who crosses her and is going to get into whatever her best situation. But I, I, I mean, she goes into she does very much fit the model of Cardassian women that we've met, I would say. And she, I, th- I think certainly she is somebody who is navigating some places that don't have the best gender politics. The Kazon, for example, she has found herself in a place where, you know, I, I, I mean, let, women are second-class citizens to the Kazon. There's a control-your-woman kind of line at one point, and, yeah. you, you know, how, how are you letting a woman give you orders and things like that going on? And so it is possible that, she, frankly, Seska had a lot more maneuverability and mobility within Voyager, and she has put herself into a much more gender-restricted society and therefore has to in a way has a different set of challenges now as well and she is in a place where her sexuality may be her biggest weapon just because of the people that are around her yeah i do though i mean i think that i think all that's right but at the same time yeah i the the kazon aren't real and they are coming from it from a you know it's it's not like we're using klingons and there is an established uh, set of gender politics in that she has to slide into and work around. The Kazon could have been created differently, I guess, is it, the the fact that where she found herself does – there is no a priori reason she needs to be in this particular society dealing with these particular choices in a way, I guess. Is that making sense? It it does make sense, and I, I think that in terms of Seska, she's kind of a fascinating character because, you know, she's a character that we don't, we haven't seen very much. I mean, we've seen her, what, three times, I think, and she only played a very large role in, in two episodes of the show so far, and, yeah, and now and largely it's, her- it's the real Seska. She is now a Cardassian. She's revealed to be a Cardassian. This is her real personality, quote-unquote, or maybe it's not. I think that's part of the, uh, part of the, the, the weirdness of this episode because... I, I look at Seska and I say, I don't know if we've ever really seen who the real Seska is. It seems like she's always, but then yeah. again, she's always using sex as some sort of weapon or bargaining chip because she was in a relationship with Chakotay, who was the captain of the Maquis cell. Yeah, so, and one of the things I think is very interesting is there is the implication that it's it's extremely unclear whether, for example, when she's talking to him oh, and she's trying to deal with him and trying to deal with him in a way that will keep him alive is there some is there a part of sex is there of sexa is there a part of seska that is legitimately does ha, does care about chakotay and even though she cares about herself and her stratagems more she doesn't legitimately doesn't want to see him hurt is she does she carry his baby at the end because that's the only way that she can have a closeness with him because she does want to preserve a very personal connection with him because she does want him to still be wondering and thinking like it's unclear to what degree this is genuine affection from her part and you know is she beating him up because she likes him or because she that's a great way to taunt him and she just sure it, it, it is very unclear in that way i'm not sure to what degree the show knows the answer to that. Well, I think also, too, I mean, we have to entertain the possibility that she's lying. Yes, of course. It, yeah, that that is true, too. 
I mean, there's no evidence that she did this. She could just be doing this to to drive Chakotay crazy and and make him uh, and and the entire crew really not on their game as much because she's kind of fucking with their minds essentially. Yeah. yeah. I I think that I mean because. I have to track Seska through what she said at the end of State of Flux, right? Because she said that she was secretly uh, in league with the Kazon because she feels like the Voyager needs to make powerful allies in the Delta Quadrant in, in order to survive. I don't think that she's even really... Seska doesn't seem like she thinks that it's possible to get back to the Alpha Quadrant yeah. in her lifetime. We also don't know exactly what her situation is, right? Like, is she a member of the Obsidian Order? Was mm-hmm. she undercover with the Maquis in the same way that Tuvok was? Uh, it's possible, I guess. I don't know that she's really acting like an Obsidian Order agent that we've ever seen before. But at the same time, we have to look at the efficacy of her actions, and she seems to have gotten herself into a very, very high position of power and some some authority in yeah. in a very, very sexist and patriarchal culture that is the Kazon. Yeah, in a relatively short time as well, because remember, this has been maybe two months since we last saw her, right? It's It hasn't even been... It's been only a couple of months. Um, yeah. In some ways, she does remind me of a, of a, of Garrick in some ways, in the way that she approaches, in the way that you never really know what side she's on besides her own. And the fact that there probably is some sincerity there, that she's able to ignore that sincerity to get her other goals. But I think what I like the most about Seska is that she's not wrong in her way. I mean, given what we have seen from... Uh, Given what we see from the next episode, given what uh, sus- what what's his name in the Suspiria episode said, Voyager yeah. has a really bad reputation within the Delta Quadrant already. And so, yes, they need as many powerful friends as they can have. And at the very least, under if Seska were on Voyager, Voyager would be leading the Kazon fleet by the end, right? I mean, she is she is doing what she can to get an alliance between Kazon. And if they have this, sh- they had the ship, they would it would be its flagship. They they would. And, and, and that would put Voyager and the crew into a stronger situation. Certainly our Federation uh, characters don't believe that the right answer is to plunder the planets as they've been accused of. But right. Seska would, and with a Kazon fleet behind her, they could probably be a year from figuring out the tech that they need to get home. But I but I do wonder, like, I have to ask that question of, of what do you think Seska's endgame is? Because... I, I don't know if she thinks she's going to be able to get back to the Cardassian Empire. And, and let's be clear, she has no idea what's about to happen to the Cardassian yeah, uh, Union, right? Like, so there's, there's, a, there's a situation where I don't know if she thinks she's actually going to be able to get back. I don't know if she wants to get back. She seems like she's stuck in this situation and she's making the best of it. She is essentially uh, uh, putting herself as the power behind the throne engineering uh you know the the Kazon this Kazon sect the I forget what they're the Nistrum the the Nistrum yeah there's a lot of different sects but um the the Nistrum she's she's trying to make them a more powerful sect so that what like she has a comfortable life I I'm not that that's where I kind of falls down for me a little bit in no way is bettering her situation going to be a bad thing I guess is part of it and um I mean, if based on Garrick's reaction is any a, 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 any, if Garrick's reaction to being on DS Nine is any indication, 
it's not really comfortable to for a Cardassian to live in a different environment than they're comfortable with for any length of time, really. And she does not want to be trapped on a human ship. And so she's just, yeah, I think bettering her situation, if she happens to be able to figure out a way to get home, that's wonderful. If at the very least she is commanding a really strong ship by the end of this, I think she's okay with that too. She's going to take in a way whatever she can get. And she is always eyeing on the next step. I wonder if she doesn't have an endgame because that to me would suggest that she is – I mean she's a very flexible person in terms of her goals, right? Uh, she can do whatever she did to spy on the Maquis now that they are on Voyager in the Delta Quadrant. Okay, well, now I've got to figure out how to better our position so we can get stronger allies. Okay, I'm kicked out of Voyager. Now I'm going to worm my way yeah. to the top of the – Kazon and figure out how to get the Kazon ship I'm in to be that much more powerful. Frankly, I think her ver- her next step where she – her plan in this uh, to work out would be to use Voyager and her Kazon fleet to start taking over the rest of the Kazon and then the other places in the galaxy. At the very least, I found myself in the Delta Quadrant and I became its fucking queen. I mean that that may be as simple as what her motivation is. Yeah, that that certainly could be the case, and I, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Because of course, I I think we're you know I don't think it's any surprise that we see Seska yeah. again. <laughs> well, leaving leaving that aside, then um, let's talk about. Well, we can either well, there's a couple things that a couple different directions we can go in. So we can talk about the Kazon, or we can talk about uh, Balana, because I think Balana is yeah. actually interesting in this episode as well. B- so Balana becomes the heart of Chakotay in this episode. She uh is somebody who is she's certainly always been very passionate and fiery and emotional and yet she is this is the quietest and i think most insightful we've ever seen her she is very uh she's passionately arguing for chakotay to janeway but balana from the first episode or two would have been screaming and yelling here she is very calmly interceding in a way that Janeway understands and accepts. And it, it, she does, she, Bellana calms Janeway down in this episode. That alone is a major note for her character. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, I think that scene, you know, where Bellana goes to Janeway in a ready room and, and talks to her about Chakotay is, is a very powerful scene. And yeah. I think it also has resonances of the kind of relationship that Bellana and Janeway you know, perhaps have been developing. Now, I don't think we've seen them together a lot, but certainly, you know, it is the case where if you look back at uh, the second episode of the show, even when it was decided that she was going to become the chief engineer and Janeway had to really grapple with kind of figuring out who Bellana is. And I think Bellana respects Janeway, but I think Janeway also respects Bellana. That is, in effect, why... Uh, Bellana is able to talk her into going after Chakotay. Yeah, I mean, I seem to remember in that second episode, Janeway basically says, look, the way to, you know, I will take your suggestions into consideration, but you need to, you need to talk to me in a disciplined and, you know, sane manner, frankly. And this is Janeway being as good as her word. She is extraordinarily upset and angry and confused at Chakotay's actions. Bellana comes, give them, gives them some context. Janeway comes out of that conversation knowing that, yes, Chakotay does still need to be disciplined for the line, for the reasons that she outlines at the end, largely yeah. that if my first officer is disobeying, I can't get order from anybody on this ship. Um, 
and yet recognizing that again there are some deeper meanings to Chakotay's actions. He's doing yeah. the wrong thing for the right reason for the good of the crew. I mean, th- th- this these these are two. This is the second time, the first being Tuvok, that a major player in the command structure of Voyager has completely gone against orders, gone off on their own, and utterly disobeyed the captain. Uh, yeah. And- well, and that's and that's why I think Bellana is so interesting in this episode, because Bellana is sort of the clearest example in this episode of, of the leadership skills of Janeway. And yeah. really, you know, Bellana has become a, a more subdued person. She has become a more Starfleet person, essentially, yeah. right? And that that is, I think, directly due to Janeway's uh, captaining of her. But at the same time, you're right, like Chakotay goes off and you know blatantly defies well i mean i don't even know if he defies her orders necessarily well, but a, he does something without approval and it puts him in danger it puts everyone in danger on the ship and janeway essentially is once again left with a feeling of am i actually you know how how are these how are these people under me uh, why are they defying me so much? What is going on here? And I think it's an interesting juxtaposition for Janeway's abilities yeah. as captain. Well, it's the thing that she, when, a, twice, both to Bellana and Chakotay, when they outlined the reasons for, well, he felt that this was his fault and, you know, he needs to. And both times Janeway says, so this was a personal score you were settling. And both of them immediately, and Chakotay especially, like, realizes, like, oh, well, when you put it that way, yeah, that was really stupid to do. This is going yeah. along the lines of T- Tuvok's conversation where the the ultimate decision needs to rest to the captain. The captain is the person who has the right based on chain of command to make these decisions and who theoretically has the most experienced knowledge and insight in order to make she has the widest view she's the one who i mean frankly in this mission yes chakotay going off at his own ends in very badly if he had even one other person with him do you think that he would have been alone with uh with Seska in order to be have her be artificially inseminated, that plot line <laughs> wouldn't have happened. He wouldn't have been captured. They would have gone through. The, this is something that Janeway was assembling as a team because Voyager is a team because there are a bunch of people who all have their own different abilities. Frankly, it might have been even better to have Chakotay on board, use uh, to have Bellana on board using this device because she knows a little bit more about gadgets than Chakotay. She might have been able to rig something to make the mission easier. Having Tuvok on the ship with them may be a better way to fend off the Kazon that are attacking. He, but, yeah. but he goes off co- half-cocked on his own because he needs to do this, and this is something he has to do himself, and that's stupid in this case. Yeah, it is stupid, and also it it, it direct—well, I mean, I don't know if you can really say that Chakotay's at fault for Seska's actions at the end of the episode, but it is the case where if he had not gone off half-cocked and essentially did something without— uh, did something without authorization in order to settle a personal score. Yeah. Um, they're, they're now in a weird interpersonally precarious position that they otherwise would not have been. And also that I don't think Janeway is wrong in sort of the assumption that Seska is all of theirs problem, not just Chakotay's yeah. problem. I mean, I think that's what that, that scene between Bellana and Chakotay yeah. before Chakotay decides to leave where Bellana essentially says, well, she was my best friend. She snowed me. And that yeah. is, I think that scene is there to to remind us that Seska is not just Chakotay's problem. Seska is everyone's problem on Voyager. Yeah, she, uh, 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 and 
I mean, I like, I really like the, when they're deciding whether or not should we go rescue Chakotay, the odds are very against us. There are all these ships. My gut says I need to do that. I need to rescue him. But, and Bellana points out, well, you know, think about the morale. If we lose our first officer, that's going to be a massive blow to the entire crew. And ultimately, Janeway decides to go over there just to save the ship's morale because they're fucked either way in a way. Um, But you can imagine how the loss of Seska, even though Seska was nowhere near the first officer, the the betrayal of Seska did hurt everybody on this ship. She did betray all of them. She did sell all of them out. Remember, this is a ship in which... People had the opportunity to go onto an Earth-like planet where they would have been happy with Amelia Earhart, and nobody chose to. This is a ship that is starting to learn its unity, starting to have a cohesion as a ship, starting to have uh, the family-ness to it. We can probably extrapolate that. Yes, all of the little crew in engineering are becoming their own little family, and the crew in stellar cartography are beca- – and all of those. Seska betrayed every one of them. It's not yeah. just Chakotay's problem. Yes, he was her lover, but – Yeah, no, I think that's all right, and I, I, I think that's probably a, a good place to leave that conversation. Now, the the last thing maybe to talk about, and I don't know how much either one of us will, will actually have to say about this, but – the Kazon. I mean, I don't like or care about the Kazon. I right. feel about the Kazon like I do about the Klingons from the original series, right? Like they're just a recurring element and we kind of know them. I'm not really interested in the politics of the Kazon. And again, this is largely coming because Deep Space Nine, we cared very much about the politics of the Cardassians and the Bajorans and the Dominion and all of those. And you have all of these groups which do become very well drawn and defined, and their struggles are extremely interesting. The Kazon struggles... The Kazon feel feel like an alien of the week that we just see several weeks. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of agree with you and kind of disagree with you. I think that this episode does go a long way towards making the Kazon more interesting. Yeah. I and s- I, not, not to say that I find them interesting, but it is at least drawing them out to be a little bit more dynamic than perhaps we had had indications of earlier. Yeah. And I also too think little that having, too late, I would say, but yeah. Well, maybe, but I, but I also think that, that having, you know, first Maj Kala be a recurring character now is, is a good idea as well, because it also does ground the Kazon in some sort of sense of, okay, well, we have a stake in this guy and he's not a nice guy. We don't necessarily want him to win, but at least it's not just faceless Kazon every single week that we never see again. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, you're right. This episode does a lot more towards drawing out the Kazon and, they are more interesting here, and Frank. I guess. I guess where I'm leaving it is. I hope this is where the Kazon continue along these lines. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair, and we'll just have to see. There, there is an episode I think in the third season where the Kazon uh, start a musical theater group. So oh, we're look Kazon. To that. Such a weirdo here. We're Kazon. Um. Well, you know they are basically the Klingons, and Klingons have opera. So the um, right. The Kazon would obviously have a great Broadway scene. Exactly. All right. Well, I think that's it for maneuvers. Let's talk about resistance, which is also a pretty good episode, I think. Yeah, this is 
see both of these episodes a little bit, I found myself thinking slightly unfairly, admittedly, what the DS9 version of this would be. Because we have this planet that's taken over by this fascist organization, the Makra, right? And yeah. DS9 would have done this with Cardassians. You know, this may have been Cardassians and another planet, or a planet that had Dominion control over something. We would have a stake in the the plot. They would have a tie to the larger here. It's just a planet we will never see again, and the Makra or something we'll never see again. But at the same time, I also started thinking about the TNG version of this episode, which would have ended with the Mocker rule being overthrown, right? With the uh, with the TNG crew coming in and saving everybody, or it, TOS crew with Kirk, you know, killing the head Mocker, and then you know we're all gonna be, you know, we're gonna re- rebuild your planet, kind of a thing. Here, Voyager again, because they are so isolated, they can strike a blow for the resistance, but they can't do anything more. They don't have the firepower. They don't have the resources to do that. It's up. Yeah. You know, it is up to the resistance. And part of the implication from this episode is that this victory is going to regalvanize them. I feel like in 10 years, they're going to have a much better planet, but. Well, I, I think there's a couple things there. I think number one is that, you know, with the Makra having it be of, you know, alien flavor of the week uh, and having this planet not be seen before, we don't really have any context for, for what they're doing. They are generic fascists, yeah. essentially. And fascists are bad, as we are learning now in America. But <laughs> I, I I also think that in a certain sense, it is an interesting, uh, it, it's an interesting wrinkle in the idea that uh, Star Trek grapples with the law, the idea that the Federation can go and, uh, essentially, they're, they're, I don't know, Voyager is a weird show, and I'm having trouble figuring it out, because this episode is good. I think that the the uh, individual moments are really good. I think the episode hangs together very well on an emotional level, and I like seeing all of these characters work together. And certainly, I don't necessarily need a lot of scenes explaining exactly why they need this stuff, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. right? Uh, that that starts the episode. We know that, uh, I, that the, we know that Voyager every so often is going to run out of a thing that's important. And I mean, w- this episode is actually making me worry because we've got another five seasons to go and they don't have an, a handy space dock to repair themselves. It's going to be hung by string and prayer by the end of the series. Yeah, I mean, they've already had conversations like that, I think, going back to to the episode where the bioneural gel packs yeah. got sick. I think, you know, we've already seen three shuttles get ex- get blown up. So there there certainly are issues with uh, uh, them not being able to go to a, a handy star base and, and get repaired. I, I think that, I mean, I, that's why I like this episode, though, is that I do think it justifies their actions in this episode. And yeah. I think it goes a long way towards them. I, I, I think this episode is actually interesting because it indicates to me that the crew and Janeway in particular is starting to realize the limits of flying around the Delta Quadrant and saying, I am Captain Catherine Janeway yeah. of the Federation Starship Voyager and we do not interfere in alien cultures, but we would like to trade with you because they know that's not going to work with the Makra and they just go ahead and do it anyway. And, and, and they're certainly, they're not, um, you know, they're, they're, they're not on the planet to, to help the resistance. They're not on the planet to uh, really essentially do anything that would violate the prime directive, but they are still there without permission and they are essentially 
committing a crime and they don't really seem to care about that part of it which i think is refreshing and a nice change and i think it indicates that that again they're they're starting to realize how they need to act and how they don't need to act because i think also like with um Tuvok and Bellana getting captured and put in, in prison, it would have been a golden opportunity for Tuvok to pontificate about the, the wonders of the Prime Directive and how they don't have any information about the resistance because you know their philosophy says that they don't interfere in alien cultures without permission. But but he doesn't bother to do that because he, he knows that it's not going to matter. They're not going to believe him. Well, when they talk to... Uh, and that's borne out. Obviously, he's not there when they're first talking to the uh, head Nazi. And... Um, but he's and he's another one who says your ship is disreputable. You've been fighting with the Kazon. I mean, rumors of what happened la- in last week's episode have apparently reached the Makra. That they they may know about Suspiria and the and the caretaker. They may so obviously the Makra are inclined to believe the worst of any ship. But even they even they don't you know they have really no reason to trust this ship how do they not believe how can they not believe that voyager is there as a kazon plant i yeah i think <laughs> that's true and and i also think that that voyager being by itself is really interesting because you know i'll ask the hard question do you think that they're doing a good job at flying the federation flag yeah well i i i i think they're Morality is very decentralized in this. This is a very uh, – it, it has been interesting the way that morality has shifted over the course of the franchise. Again, Kirk is daddy. Kirk is America. And Kirk, we always trust, will make the right decision because America and daddy are always right, right? They have God on their side and morality is very easy. And even when it's difficult, they're go- we can trust them to make the right decision. TNG comes along and gives us a more multifaceted perspective. We have different cultures that we have to take into consideration. But Captain Picard, as the representative of the melting pot of diversity, is going to be able to take all of those different different perspectives into consideration and ultimately come up with the one that is going to try and satisfy all of them the best. DS9 comes and says that there are sometimes times we need to get morally gray we must still acknowledge this moral grayness we must still acknowledge that we are doing evil things in order to have the good result but ultimately we are doing the result that is going to be the best for the most people voyager is all the way the hell out in the delta quadrant and they don't have any larger organization they have no moral compass other than themselves they have no larger organization whose ideals they have to follow and who is standing behind them that they are a representative of i mean you yeah. you say are they a good representative of the flagship of of the federation it doesn't matter because the people in the delta quadrant will never meet another federation ship the kazon are never going to See, you know, it doesn't really matter. They could be saying everybody in the Delta Quadrant could end this saying the Federation is horrible. The Alpha Quadrant is horrible and it's not going to matter to them. So, really, well, I mean, I think it I mean, I, I kind of disagree with you a little bit only because the, the Federation essentially will get to eventually. the Delta Quadrant at some point. And so I think that I mean, because I have a little bit of a different interpretation. I think you're right that essentially Voyager is in it for themselves and they want to continue their journey to get home and they are not going to violate the prime directive. They are yeah. not going to violate Federation morality or principles in order to do that. But 
what I think is is interesting about this show in particular and this episode in particular is how those motivations can be misinterpreted to have yeah. uh, uh, it's to to sort of be uh, evil or or be well maybe evil's too strong a word but I think certainly be be less than ideal for the alien species that they are encountering. Well, the alien species all also have their own agendas. Again, the Makra mistrusts everybody, so they're going to mistrust any ship even if they don't have a poor reputation. But um, the And the Kazon just want to conquer and take whatever technology they have. Nobody is interested I, – I, I mean, we pointed this out, I think, last week. Nobody is really interested in dealing with the Federation in good faith – and I wonder if part of the implication is because they don't have to, because it's just one tiny ship. Yeah, I mean, they. yeah, that's right. I think that's actually a really good point, because who knows who, who the Voyager is, yeah. right? Like, they say that they're part of some federation, but there's no yeah. evidence that it exists. They could just be a bunch of crazy people. You attack Voyager in the Alpha Quadrant, and you know that you are... Ha- that the rest of the f- of Starfleet is going to come knocking and want to know what happened. That's not going to happen here, right? That's not going to happen here, and I and I think that's why the the stated reason for why they are on this planet in the first place is so interesting because you know essentially the ship is shutting down and they're running out of power. And yeah, okay, it's a little bit of a a, a MacGuffin. They need this Telerium sure. or whatever it is to to realign the warp core. Okay, fine. But but they are doing it out of a desire to they're they're try they're they're sort of violating their precepts a little bit, but they're trying to do it in such a way that it is going to be the least invasive that that they can possibly do. And I think yeah. that the Makra finding out about what they're doing and the Makra taking Balana and Tuvok prisoner is obviously it's not a good thing and it says more about the Makra than it does about the Voyager crew, but at the same time I don't know like it's it's weird to say but i can kind of see their point a little bit in terms of like i don't want to i don't i don't want to more like morally align with fascism but (laughs) well let's put it this put it this way on this planet is our certain laws relating to trading right and whether or not the laws are right or moral or just or necessary at this point is irrelevant the crew of Voyager violated these laws and knowingly violated these laws. From the Makra's perspective, they're lawbreakers. Again, I, I may, I, we may think that law itself is a shaky concept. We may think that these laws are unfair and not done to protect the weak but to bolster the strong. This may all be true, but again, put them in a court. The facts remain. They went onto this planet assuming false identities traded illegally and tried to smuggle something off of this planet yeah yeah absolutely and i think that the the only wrinkle to that is is why are the mocker being so nice to chakotay and the ship like i get because neelix seems very surprised that they are yeah. talking to them at all and obviously they're they're playing some sort of long con with them where i mean i think that what's what's the guy's name argus agrius something like that something like that yeah i i think he might just happen to be a fairly polite person maybe you you know maybe unusual for them but there were there were nice nazis who would at least on the face of it deal with you 
fairly and properly and using official channels because fascists don't think of themselves as evil, right? They think sure. of themselves as the representatives of law and order and everything moving smoothly like a machine. And so there's really no need for them to give for him to go immediately hostile to the ship because also let's face it, it's one tiny ship and they're the mocker with all of the guns and the weapons and they actually they do get in a few good shots on Voyager towards the end of the episode when diplomacy finally does fail. Again, I get the sense he's just a particularly polite and mannered person who would prefer not to do this the ugly way and maybe he can just bureaucracy them away. But when it is time for him to interrogate prisoners or have the guns, he is certainly capable of doing this. I think he also knows that Voyager knows that he ha- they have the guns too. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think because this is a kind of a weird tangent, and this is going to be some Breaking Bad spoilers, so if you've never <laughs> watched Breaking Bad, uh, it's been 10 years, so, like, why have you not watched it yet? But also skip ahead a few minutes. That I'm, you know, I'm rewatching Breaking Bad right now, and, uh, you know, at the end of the second season, after uh, Walt lets Jane die, um, choking yeah. on her own vomit after a heroin overdose or, or whatever, um and and then uh, Jesse goes to rehab and and he essentially says you know I've come to terms with the fact that I'm the bad guy right and and he's come to he's come to accept that whereas Walt is still trying to convince himself that he yeah. actually is not the bad guy and there is a power to a bad guy quote unquote who thinks they're a good guy or has not come to terms with them being the bad guy that it makes it even worse. So essentially this mocker guy is a bad guy who knows he's a bad guy, but he's going to be nice to you because he knows who he is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think the bad guy who thinks he's the good guy is the one who won't be convinced because any, any resistance from him and he to him and he is the underdog fighting for good against an evil world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so leaving the mocker aside, then uh, the, the other part of this episode of course is the the storyline about this this guy thinking that Janeway is his daughter and you know I don't know how much there is to say about this I mean I think it's an interesting storyline for Janeway on an emotional level but yeah we don't we I this episode made me realize we don't know her family at all right like her background no. no No, we don't. And so we don't know if her parents are still alive. We don't know if she had parents. Maybe she was adopted. Like, we don't know anything about her. So we have to read. I guess in a certain sense, it's interesting only because Janeway's actions in this episode make her out to be a very morally upright person who is not going to... She doesn't ever try to... She doesn't ever really try to convince this guy that she's not her his daughter. I mean, she, she does a little bit at the very beginning, but... She's more interested in getting back to the ship, which makes sense, and she's not going to really. It's I think it from from her perspective, it's more about not wasting time with this guy. He's essentially thinking that she's his daughter, so he she's like, all right, then I'm your daughter. Let's go break into the prison because yeah. that's where she's going to get. And I don't know that that's a great look for Janeway, but I also think it's. Uh, it's a it's a nice character beat for her, I think. It is an awkward moment because, yeah, she is – she tries early on but realizes he's not. And I think realize, I, I, I think she's really just kind of deferring the decision as much as she can because, frankly, when this is all over, if he were still alive, she would have to say, listen, I'm not your daughter, but here's some money, you know, make a life for yourself kind of a thing. Right. You know, that 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 is where that would take it, the fact that he dies and she is able to at least lie him into peace is the only really 
e- good way that that could have ended. Sad to say, but um, and frankly, I, I I I think there is some practical elements to that. Where if this guy finally does click and realize that she's not his daughter, she doesn't know what's going to happen. Will he turn her in? Will he cause a horrible scene in the middle of a public place? She doesn't know, and so. She does. She is trying to do the thing that will keep him calm and in the least danger. Sure, sure. Well, and I also think too that that, that we can't forget that that this character, I think his name is Calum, I believe, uh, essentially is being kept alive as yeah. some sort of example of the power of the Makra, and that at the end of the episode when it's revealed that his daughter and his wife have both been dead for years and that he was essentially a, a, a fool. I mean, I think that's also yeah. the point of that scene with the hat. I mean, he's yeah. a little bit wily and he's able to to distract them long enough, but they also know kind of what he's doing. That Janeway kind of, I think, in a sense, realizes that the only answer is to let him die thinking that she is his daughter and that his wife is fine and forgives him because that more than anything else is going to undercut the power of the mockery. Yeah. And Janeway is not there to do that, but I don't think that she can resist doing that. Yeah. Yeah. No, at the end of the day, this is somebody who has suffered greatly and she, you know, even though it requires lying, which we're talking about the morally gray aspects of this show. Um, in the long run, lying to a dying man that, you know, your wife forgives you and your daughter is happy and you can go in peace is not a an evil thing, but it is still going – it is still lying, right? Um, I don't, it is, but but I don't know that we – I mean, I don't know if we want to go down the road of talking about whether or not lying is well, I, morally wrong or I not. I mean, I but, guess that's the thing. I don't feel bad. I, I don't feel bad about this decision. This is not – Janeway is, you know, Janeway certainly ends the episode feeling very confused and having some very complicated thoughts about what the adventure that she's just gone through. But I don't think she is having a Cisco, I lied, but I think I can live with it kind of a moment. It is a small thing. It's a very small thing, and I think that she's going to take some comfort in knowing that yeah. she was put into a difficult situation and, and gave this man peace at the end. I mean, I think that's what the final shot of this episode is about when she's caressing the necklace. Yeah, and also that this old man is going to be one of the symbols of the revolution in a way. He uh, – I, 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 the, the, the contact that the, they – that she makes who wants to buy the necklace for the weapons at the end he says i'm going to tell everybody what he did he is going to be known as somebody that frankly the the mocker tried to break they kept him alive as a symbol of how strong the state was but at the end he was able to you know kill the leader and he's become a hero and that is very uh, i don't know it, it, it it's a touching episode i found yeah, no, it definitely is, and I think it's a it's a strong episode for the show. It so. was an interesting counterpoint to uh, the episode where uh, Kira is made to look like a Kardashian, and she's told. Uh, the, the, oh yeah, second skin. Yeah, yeah. That again, th- these reminded me a bit of DS Nine episodes, and this was certainly Voyager's take on that, but. You know, again, that episode ended in a very different way. The 
reason he believed she was his daughter was because enough circumstantial evidence was given rather than just somebody latching onto a desperate hope. And it does end with the truth being revealed and yet a a, a stronger closeness between the two of them. Again, Second Skin didn't end tragically like this episode does. Yeah, yeah, that's true. All right, well, I think that's it for this episode of the podcast. If you have any thoughts on either of the episodes of Star Trek Voyager we we just watched, we just discussed, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trekaboutshow.com. You can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash trekaboutshow. If you enjoy our podcast and want to give us a little bit of monetary support, please do so. It also helps our other podcasts tuning in. We are releasing our episode on the X-Files episodes three and one breath in two days. So do go check that out as well. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are in all those places. Trekaboutshow is our username. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for Truck About. It is the best way for new people to find the show. And you want to spread the joy of Truck About to as many people as possible. Just like What's-His-Name is spreading the word about What's-His-Name and his role in the revolution. Yes. Next week, we are going to be talking about the episodes Prototype and Alliances.